So good afternoon to Jessica Bondi, founder of the Words Matter charity. My name is Hasla Qureshi. I am a year four psychology MSci student at UCL, and I will be conducting this interview on behalf of the Resilience Research Group. Thank you for being with me here today. Um, please introduce yourself and your role within Words Matter. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on the Resilience Group podcast. I feel deeply honoured. Um, my name is Jessica Bondi and I'm the founder of Words Matter. We are the first charity um, of its kind and we're on a mission to improve children's mental and physical health and development by ending verbal abuse of children by the adults around them. Perfect. And firstly, I'd like to begin our conversation by just talking a little bit about your background. So up until now, your career had been within the corporate sector. So what inspired you to embark on a charity project, having worked in the corporate career for so many years? Yes, I worked in I worked in largely I worked in communications. So I spent um, most of my career doing that. I did initially I did consumer health work, uh, PR and consumer health marketing work. Then I did uh, big brand work and then I worked for um, corporate clients. And I always at the same time, as well as working for big agencies, I run my own company. And one of the things I always did was I coached and mentored young people and coached and mentored my clients. And when I uh, ran my own agency, I stopped running my agency at the beginning of 2020. And then I was doing more of my coaching and mentoring. And what I noticed was that so many people were impacted by the words they'd heard when they were growing up that could really affect how they were able to work in their future, their relationships, what they were able to achieve. And then because of my own personal experience of experience childhood verbal abuse myself, I decided that this is what I wanted to make my legacy. And so in uh, February 2022, I decided this is what I wanted to do with my life. And actually, it fits very neatly, because if you think I was communicating on behalf of businesses, corporates and brands, and then I was helping young people market and communicate on for themselves. And now I feel I'm communicating on behalf of all children to end verbal abuse of children by the adults around them. And who is involved in your Words Matter team? Gosh, we've got, I'm very thrilled because on my team, uh, when I first decided to set up the charity, the first thing I wanted to do was to have um, an advisory board because everything we do at the charity has research at its absolute core and making sure everything we do is fully evidence-based. So I wrote to a number of the experts whose research I'd reviewed and said, I'd love to talk to you about your research. And I'd also, um, in relation to what I'm doing with my charity, I'm setting up this new charity. Uh, we're gonna focus on uh, research, uh, aware raising awareness and collaboration with others to find solutions. This is such an under-recognized issue. Would you be willing? Um, I, would you be willing to talk to me? And what was so incredible is all these amazingly high profile experts came back to me within one or two hours and said, I'd be delighted to talk to you. And when I then spoke to them, 
they said, and I asked them, I had the confidence to say, uh, would you be willing to join my advisory board? They all said yes. So I've got this 14 strong advisory board. And if you go onto our website, www.wordsmatter.org, you can take a look. And it includes Professor Peter Fonicky, who's head of the division at UCL, and some other renowned people from places like Harvard, leading university in China. I was determined that it was going to be a global advisory board. And then um, I set up my advisory board and then I also have got three really interesting um, independent advisors, somebody from a leading charity uh, who used to work at Place to Be, which is a children's charity that does a lot of work in schools around the mental health area. I've got another lady who's done a lot in marketing and research and also was a founding trustee of the, the very um, Ex the excellent kind of male suicide charity called Calm Campaign Against Living Miserably. And then also my um, third independent advisor is a guy called Lord Dennis Stevenson, who wrote the government's report on uh, mental health and employers and employees. So we've got advisors, we've got my academic advisory board, then I have a, a trustees. Every, tr every charity has to have trustees when you're a charitable organisation. So there are five of trustees. So I'm not only a founder, I'm a trustee. And then I identified a former client of mine. I was actually talking to that client to, to see if he knew anybody that might be interested in be a, being a trustee or had the kind of profile I was looking for. And he said, oh, why haven't you asked me? So <laughs> I, I was very pleased that he was very keen to join. And then very excitedly, um, we had a grant from a trust and foundation which begins this month. So we've got our first uh, employee for the charity and having launched in September, it's very exciting that we've got our first employee and she's uh, um, helping us and doing research and administration. So that's the core team. Wow. And it sounds really, really busy, but what does an average day working in Words Matter look like for you? Gosh, an no two days are the same, which is what I really like. And that was exactly how it was when I was working in communications. Uh, but I tend to start early and kind of review any interesting research that might have come up. I usually have on, on several days of the week, I usually have a team meeting with the core group of us. Um, I also work with somebody who does our social media. So there's usually lots of things to discuss. And then I will probably have, on average, I have about two or three, probably Zoom calls a day with different organizations or experts that may be interested in becoming an ally of ours or getting involved, or they may be involved in some new piece of research where we're looking into. Then um, I will, I always have to go out for a coffee to get a coffee from from a takeaway. That's an essential part of my day. And um, then I will do probably some writing, emailing, having conversations with people, might do various people recently since we launched the ask for blog posts, uh, strategic planning. As I said, no two days is the same. More recently, people have been interested in talking to us about potential partnerships. So that's another area. And then a very, very important strand of what 
we have to focus our time on is fundraising because without funds as a charity we can't survive. So I'd now like to move the conversation towards the work that's being done by Words Matter. Um, what, why is the impact of childhood verbal abuse such an important topic? I think that childhood verbal abuse has not really been focused on as an area, yet it can have an impact for a lifetime. And it's not just about the effect it can have on people's self-esteem and feelings of self-worth, and confidence. All the research shows, and there's compelling research to show it can have an effect on, it can lead to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance abuse, um, even suicidality. So it's a very, very serious issue. And that's why it's so important that we're addressing it. And I think that what is at the core and root of so many things is that how Verbal abuse in childhood can actively weaken the foundations of the brain. And if you look at MRIs of children that have experienced and adults that have experienced childhood verbal abuse, the MRI shows similar things to those people that have been um, in war zones. So that the impact is very, very profound. And why should childhood verbal abuse be formally recognised as a distinct form of childhood maltreatment? What I think was interesting is one of the pieces of research I first commissioned with UCL and another university in America called Wingate was I did a systematic review, which is a basically a review of all the current evidence and looking at childhood verbal abuse. Nobody done it before. And so over almost 8,000 studies were initially screened and then uh, 166 studies were looked at in depth. And the study was looking at a number of different things, definition, measures and impact. And the uh, one of the authors is an epidemiologist and one of the observations was that um, while the um, prevalence of both physical abuse and sexual abuse have gone down, the prevalence of emotional abuse has consistently gone up. Now, physical abuse and sexual abuse have had big awareness campaigns and specific interventions to address them. Emotional abuse hasn't, but actually a large part of emotional abuse, and no studies exist where emotional abuse is childhood verbal abuse is not included in measurements of emotional abuse. And the conclusion of why it should be its own maltreatment subtype is really about how we prevent it, because emotional abuse tends to focus on a victim. But if we talk about childhood verbal abuse, it you can develop interventions and take action looking at the perpetrators. So that is the recommendation about why it should be its own maltreatment subtype, because emotional abuse is also quite willily defined. Whereas if you talk about childhood verbal abuse, it's much more specifically defined. And as I said before, you can address the perpetrators. Um, when you mention address the perpetrator, that's just made me think that 
Is there any research at the moment on why some adults engage in childhood verbal abuse? There is, there is, um, there is some research on it. I think what's interesting is is the the study we did. We did an, a study as well as doing the systematic review. We've done a number of different research studies now. One of which was looking at over a thousand children and over a thousand parents, and we asked them both why they thought um, this was happening. I mean, what was interesting from the children's research is it showed two in five experience it, childhood verbal abuse by adults, and of those over half experience it weekly, and one in 10 experience it daily. And one of the things that's important is we talk about all adults. So the adults they identified was parents, teachers, coaches, shopkeepers, people on buses or transport. Um, and when we asked them why they felt this was happening, um, being overloaded, being stressed, balancing life. I mean, everybody, everybody can can get overloaded sometimes. And I think what's interesting is so many people say these things not intentionally, it's unintentional. So that's part of what we're trying to do is, is make people aware of the damage it can do. But other things like working from home, um, Yes, that, that, that had an impact and particularly one of the other main factors that came up was the cost of living, which is which is causing a huge amount of stress in so many households up and down the country and across the world. So I'd now like to move the conversation towards the response of the Words Matter charity towards childhood verbal abuse. Um, so what resources do the Words Matter charity provide or intend to provide to the parents, carers, teachers, um, and people with experiences of verbal abuse? We are, um, as well as raising awareness, we're, we're producing information and we're hoping to do training sessions and also collaborate with others to share our resources and also to do training. But at the moment, if you go to www.wordsmatter.org and you click on the, the tab, find help, You'll see under another one called resources, a variety of different resources. So we've got at the moment one for adults on how to talk to children, one for parents and carers, one for teachers and one for those with lived experience. And those resources, we've tried to keep them very straightforward. They were written by Dr. Fiona Pinar, who's one of our advisors, and we've got five practical tips one of which is about the importance of role modelling. It's very important you role model to your children, both whether they're a young child and adolescent, they look to you for guidance. The second thing is about really setting expectations that are appropriate for both their age and stage of development in life. The third one is really around focusing on the positives and really try and celebrate what people have done well and why they've done it well and be specific. And so often there's a temptation for adults around children to, to, to not separate the behaviour from the person. And that is when it can be so damaging. And then we talk about the importance of taking a step back. If you stop, you know, think before you speak, it makes a difference. 
then you can just give yourself that buffer. And then the final thing is always about repairing. And an apology is a start. It's so important when you um, say something unintentionally that or intentionally that you make that apology and you rupture. You, you repair any rupture. Once you've ruptured, you have to repair. And I'm just thinking about how these resources you know, have been developed and how were children integrated into that process? What's really important as a charity is having the children's voices and people's with lived experience voices. So every single thing we do, every step of the way, we're involving young people, children's voices. So when we went to those thousand children, when we before we went to them on a quantitative basis, we went to and did group work with both children and parents. And the sorts of things they were looking for came up and what they wanted was about education, information, awareness raising amongst those audiences. So little things have been tailored. So one of the things we've produced an additional resource is what are the most helpful and hurtful words? We asked the children what were the most helpful and hurtful words that they could hear and how it made them feel. And so as an immediate, you know, one pager, we've got for everybody to see what are the most helpful words that will help people feel, the children feel encouraged, more confident, happy, liked and loved. And what are those words you should try and avoid because they make children feel anxious, depressed, isolated, even frightened. And how can the Words Matter charity help adults who are inflicting the verbal abuse towards the children? Our role is really about education and information to increase understanding. You know, the vast majority of people are doing, are verbally abusing or saying hurtful and unkind, critical, demeaning, derogatory words to children without even thinking about the impact. I, I'm sure, you know, the people that said very hurtful and deeply critical things to me when I was growing up, one would hope to think that they didn't, they didn't mean it and they didn't think of the long-term impact. So part of our work is really supporting parents, teachers, adults, and empowering them so they have the information so that they can change their behavior. And what's been so, wonderful for me is one of the girls I coached, a young girl, said that just with her own mother's awareness of what was going on and what we were working on and having seen the publicity, her behaviour towards her daughter had changed. Now that's just one person, but if one can replicate that millions over, it would be amazing. You speak about replication and I think it's really interesting to perhaps think that are there any cross-cultural differences in how verbal abuse is inflicted or even how it's perceived? I think what was interesting is when we um, when we looked at the um, research that was done, there were no kind of societal or demographic differences. But I think certainly from looking at the systematic review and the study, there are certain cultural differences in what is seen as acceptable or not in how you um, talk to inverted commas discipline or treat a child. 
But actually, when we did another study, which was our Delphi study, which is about getting consensus around definition, there it was felt that those cultural differences shouldn't necessarily be incorporated in the actual definition, because at the end of the day, it's what it is doing and the impact it is having on the child that is the most important thing. Um, you also just mentioned the Delphi study. Could you perhaps elaborate a little bit on some of the other research that Words Matter has actually done to understand uh, verbal abuse a little bit better? So maybe just elaborate on the Delphi a little bit more. So, so as I said, I mean we've done we've done five five pieces of research work at the moment. So we we did the systematic review, which we were delighted was published in the leading journal, Child Abuse and Neglect. Um, we did the Delphi study which with UCL, which we're hoping to get published in a paper. And that was really about gaining consensus of opinion from what are termed experts. And these experts could be parents, teachers, those cl clinicians, uh, academics, um, people with lived experience themselves, parents. Um, and we were looking looking at them and, and talking, interviewing them. And it's a series of six rounds where you're asking questions aiming to get consensus and you keep sharing back what the other people have said until you get a consensus of opinion. So um, we were looking at the definition, who should be involved in what Words Matter is doing and uh, priority actions and surprisingly priority actions were about awareness and education. Those were the top two and the people that we should involve, which is a lot of people we are involved with because I've now had three over 300 meetings with different organizations and experts around the world and the sorts of people are you know other charitable organizations other people working in mental health various experts academics etc so you know I've had conversations with people at UNICEF WHO all the leading children's charities and all the renowned experts be it involved in the teenage brain early childhood yeah, across the board. Um, just linking back to education, um, are children really aware of verbal abuse as a definition or how did children actually perceive the hurtful things that are being said to them and do they really understand if they are given the definition of verbal abuse? Is that really comprehensible for all age groups or how do we help children to understand and to perhaps identify that what is happening to them is verbal abuse? It's very interesting you should ask that question because when we did the, I mean we did research amongst children and we were, uh, uh, the big quantitative study, you have to be careful with the age and um, safeguarding and we went through all the safeguarding uh, checks etc. So we interviewed 11 to 17 year olds and we asked them if they'd experienced it but it was in the, and it was in the form of words that would criticise, blame, shame, denigrate, that were hurtful and upsetting words. So it was, it was, it was, it was in that way to describe it, because at the end of the day, if one talks about verbal abuse, the definition of verbal abuse, and what came out in the studies is it's about not just shouting and screaming, it can be subtle, it can be insidious, and it's words that, as I said, blame, insult, criticise, demean, diminish. So it's describing it in those ways. But I think what is hard is that um, it 
is seen as it you know in, in some societies in some families in some schools it is it is a way of communicating and there needs to be greater understanding and awareness that the use of these words for children can be deeply wounding and what has been so fascinating is having conversations with people of all ages because they can remember so many of the words that were said to them when they were growing up, the words that knocked them down or the words that built them up. And I'm sure if I asked you today, are there any particular phrases or people you remember saying things to you when you were growing up? You could probably remember exactly who said it to you and exactly when. And it probably has had a lasting impact. And it may have been a teacher saying, your, your, that piece of work was fantastic. I think you're going to make a, a great psychologist and you've got to go to UCL and study psychology who really gave you the confidence and built you up. Or it could have been somebody that said something else that made you question yourself or doubt yourself, your own ability, whereas you had that ability, but it made you question yourself. And I think just linking back to what you mentioned about teachers, are there any resources available to actually help teachers and those professionals actually understand within that sort of classroom setting, for example? So if a child was behaving sort of inappropriately or if they had, uh, you know, if their work wasn't, you know, up to the best standard. I'm just thinking, are there any resources to actually help teachers, you know, convey that in a way that isn't really helpful or is that something that Words Matter is working on? I mean, we've got we've got some we've got some resources. There's a there's a resource sheet for teachers, but we are working. Uh, one of the things that's that's fantastic is we've got the dean of the institute uh, the dean of the Institute of Education on our advisory board, and we're talking to a number of different educational organisations. And one of the things that I feel very strongly about is having an element of teacher training address this issue so that teachers are aware of the impact of their words. Perfect. And um, just sort of linking on to the last section, um, I'd actually like to ask you what the future holds for Words Matter. Um, so I am aware that there is an event um, happening at UCL next year in April 2024. Um, could you provide some details on that event, which is going to be exploring the impact and prevention of childhood verbal abuse? We are thrilled and very excited that we're going to be holding the first international conference. It's called Words Matter, Impact, uh, impact and uh, Prevalence and Impact and How to present, Prevent It. And uh, we're doing it together with the World Health Organization and UCL. It's on the 11th of April 2024. It's going to be online and it is free to attend. And uh, if you go on to www.wordsmatter.org under our news sheet you can see where's the little where you can register um, we've got eight different speakers from around the globe um, people talking about the neurological impact um, people talking about how we can prevent it there's a woman who's done some really interesting work about working with parents about how they can interact with their children we've got people talking about policy uh, the woman who, the, the, the lead author of the systematic review is going to be talking about the findings around the definition and um, making it its own maltreatment subtype. 
We've got another researcher who's done a lot of work comparing the different sorts of abuse. It should be a, a very interesting and fascinating and uh, information packed day. It's being chaired by Professor Peter Fonagy in the morning and it's being chaired in the afternoon by um, Dr. Manasi Kumar, who um, is at the University of Nairobi. So there'll be a lot of opportunity for questions and discussion. And if people can't attend in person on the day, there'll be recordings available, but people need to register in order to be able to access the recording. And um, at the beginning of that response, you mentioned prevention. Um, could you just elaborate on the importance of prevention itself and how it can really help children's mental health? Prevention is critical. And one of the interesting people who's going to be presenting a study is doing some new research into the cost of inaction and the economic burden on society of not doing anything about it. So in terms of prevention, it's really trying to help inform, educate, increase understanding and work with other organisations. I mean, childhood verbal abuse by adults is a societal issue and it can only be solved if we all work together on finding solutions, solutions that are going to help parents, help teachers, help coaches and, you know, their whole surroundings. And when you link to, you know, these, um, you know, teachers and parents and coaches, as a final question, what does Words Matter aim to achieve in the next five years? Gosh, in the next five years, I want to have had lots of validation that this is a big important issue so that's in terms of published papers that's that's on our research branch so validation lots of lots of research published uh, in in very reputable areas in terms of awareness we want to have really way, ray, raised awareness of this issue so people understand what childhood verbal abuse is and the impact it can have and then the third thing is on collaboration. We very much hope that interventions will have been developed and they will be have started to be implemented. Those training programmes, that support for parents, teachers, carers, anybody working around children. That, but it is a, as I say, it's a, it's a societal issue and we all need to work together on solutions. And when you say we all need to work together, I'd like to think that psychology students and other university students like myself will hopefully be part of that. And is there anything that you'd really like to research? So I know at the moment you've conducted the systematic review and the Delphi study, but are there any other gaps within the literature that you'd really like to explore? Gosh, there are a lot of lot of areas. I mean, I think what's been really interesting is looking at the um, studies there hasn't been so much work on teachers, so I'm hoping to do more work on teachers and those other groups. A lot of the work's been done around parents, but there's a whole gap in that area. I think there's a huge amount more that we can be doing on drilling down about what really we can do to support parents and teachers and those around children. I think there's looking in depth at about certain areas in terms of the impact and age and stage. 
And then the other factor is um, the multi-generational aspect, because often this goes from generation to generation because the people who become parents or teachers have been taught or parented in that way. But there's no reason that that cycle cannot be broken. And at the moment, I think in society, the use of social media is quite prevalent. And I just wanted to ask that, how will or how could the Words Matter charity really incorporate, uh, you know, social media um, into their campaigns, into their work? Um, could parents perhaps use a particular social media platform or could videos or campaigns be made through social media? Um, how could social media be contributing to the cause? Social media is, is another critical element of the way we can raise awareness and gain engagement. And I'm very excited because we're already working with one um, parenting app and I've got conversations with lots of other parenting apps and I'm hoping to do things in partnership. I think the little video we produced that's on our homepage um, has been viewed um, via social media 41,000 times, which shows the, the power. It's got to be short, sharp. That's only 90 seconds. But I think um, particularly with where what you said how can how can you help and how can people in the resilience group and beyond help us we are open for contacting uh, we've got a we've got a contact us form on our website and any support or help in any area would be more than welcome perfect and is there anything else which i might not have asked at the moment that you'd like to add what I would really love to, to add is that we would love people to visit our website. It's www.wordsmatter.org. And please um, see if you're interested in getting involved and contact us. Hello at wordsmatter.org is how you can reach us. So thank you so much for taking part in this interview. I wish all the best to Words Matter. Um, if we don't have anything else to add, I am now going to stop the recording. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Resilience Research Group is a global group of researchers, practitioners, charities and organisations dedicated to developing high-quality collaborative resilience research. Our aims are to improve access to, understanding of and quality of resilience research and to support and aid our members in effectively developing and disseminating their research. To find out more or to get involved, contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn.